Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. My name's Andy, and thanks for tuning in. With me today are Grace. Hello, everybody. And Kennedy. Good evening. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before we get into our main topic, we do have a little bit of housekeeping to do. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar per month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. Visit www.patreon.com slash women at warp. And I want to say that we also do something called spore jumps in which we talk about non-track topics. And they just did what we did in the shadow and what we do in the shadows. We did what we do in the shadows. So it's what we did in the shadows. And we had a, we had a great time recording that. And I got to find out Elisa can do an impression of every major cast member of that show. I'm too impressed to be jealous, honestly. It's actually why I brought it up, because um, she was so amazing on that episode, I heard about it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and looking for podcast merch? Check out our Tee Public store. There are so many designs, with new ones being added all the time, and on so much more than just t-shirts. Find it at tpublic.com slash stores slash women at warp. And lastly, if you were at home FOMOing your heart out over the Murph plushie that was the convention exclusive for New York Comic Con, we have good news. We do. We are doing a giveaway. <laughs> that little gooey buddy can be your little gooey buddy. <laughs> Email us at crew at womenatwarp.com and tell us what you are most excited for for the new season of Prodigy. And we will choose one lucky someone at random and send you your own very snuggly Murph plushie. So cute. So cute. I want to snuggle with him. All right, cool. So our main topic today is cultural exchange and Star Trek. And basically, we were trying to think of the ways that we see formal, like, organized cultural exchange in Star Trek. You know, exchange students and, you know, officer swaps and all of those fun sorts of things. I just found it to be a really interesting topic because... I was lucky enough to be an exchange student when I was younger, and it really made a huge impact on my life. And I wanted to kind of explore what it says about Starfleet and the Federation and their priorities, what kinds of things that we gain from programs like this, and why we should value them. Excellent. I always wanted to be an exchange student or host one. We weren't that cool. (laughs) (laughs) So a little jealous on that one. But yeah, like my favorite aspects of star trek are when we get an opportunity to see what these other organizations operate under you know what i mean like how what kind of what kind of officers they crank out what kind of people live in those societies what type of things are different what types of things are similar like that's a whole point of boldly going where no one has gone before and with previous series really of Trek being so Starfleet focused we very rarely got a chance to see any of that so it was kind of like you know going to like being on a team right you're playing another school and you get to that school and it's completely different and you almost don't know how to act because their stuff's so nice (laughs) and and, like their locker rooms are all nicer than yours and they got showers and towels they've got the good astroturf here what do we do this is is this actual (laughs) grass yo this is like this is like a blend of kentucky bluegrass and rye y'all i don't know how i (laughs) I I can't handle it. I'm I'm not fit to play on this on this soccer field. That's like that's <laughs> how I feel. That's at least how I envision someone who is at Starfleet Academy doing a semester or like a weekend at the Vulcan Science Academy and be like, "Dag, is all your stuff brain activated? Like you don't have any user, <laughs> you don't have any user interfaces at all. It's just all in your brains, huh? That's okay. Let's see how those physics classes spend up." <laughs> That sounds better than what my experience was with getting an exchange student because mine was from Europe and she was like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) No, that's very similar to my experience. My family hosted exchange students for about eight years on and off from around the world. And let me see, we had a lot from Latin America and throughout Europe, but mostly from Japan and Korea. 
Nice. Which means I, I now get to say I have friends across the world, which is really fun to have. And I myself am a two-time exchange student wow. uh, when I was 16 in Mexico and when I was in 17 in Costa Rica. So, yo hablo español, pero yo necesito practicar. Yo necesito practicar también. It's all good. Claro, claro. ¿Dónde está el baño? Oh, no. All right. So, me and Grace will handle the, the, the sticky stuff. <laughs> good news is I can at least, you know, communicate some basic stuff in Spanish, but I will definitely say a high point of hosting exchange students, which has just led to a skill that has been incredibly handy through my life ever since, is learning how to simply explain concepts in a way mm. when there's a language barrier is a really good skill to have. And also uh, the ability to pantomime mm. is always a good skill to have. <laughs> there was a point when I was in Italy where I was staying at a hostel where uh, the owner didn't speak English, but she spoke Spanish. And we uh, I needed to translate for a guest on whether the water was good to, uh, to drink. And that was a whole experience. <laughs> It, you never know when it's going to come in handy. Yeah. And that's another layer, right? Like, just be- exactly. Yeah. Just because it's in the future doesn't mean that the universal translator is always going to work. Yeah. And there will always be cu- uh, cultural differences and things that just don't crop up in other cultures that need to be explained to them. Right. Which I, I think is why it's so important to include enterprise on discussions like this. So I'm really glad that, that you all included this because. They are the beginning, right? Whether you like the series, whether you like it or not, like this is where we come from. Okay, so (laughs) suck it up. Like (laughs) it's a long road getting from there to here. Just saying, it was a journey. Okay, respect the journey. Just saying. I just I find it very interesting to think about how 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 they started to build a foundation for like standard operating procedures for first contact, right? And like how to deal with uh, species they've never met before, and like it ve- feels like you know if you're you're in the very beginning stages of doing that, you're probably going to mess up a lot and learn a lot. Which is probably why they thought it'd be a good idea to have two alien exchanges on uh, the flagship of the Federation, because then they have twice as much alien information and alien perspective. Yeah. Plus, I mean, T'Pol had to go somewhere, right? Could you T'Pol imagine? had to go somewhere. Not only is this a space startup, <laughs> right? <laughs> I never thought of it like that before, and it's not wrong. But you're literally biologically unaccustomed to being around this other species. You get a whole other appreciation for T'Pol because you don't think about, I mean, I'm human, you're human, you're human. We all know what human beings can and do smell like from time to time. And they give her so much shit over it. She didn't know. Could you imagine? Oh, and imagine like, and also... Let's face it; those jumpsuits, you know, they didn't they didn't breathe well. So was, those had to be just tubes of polyester filled with sweat. Just swamp ass, swamp yeah. ass in space. The USS Swamp Ass. I mean, you said it. And that's where they dropped to Paul. Right? She was like, "This is I. I want to quit. I want to go home." <laughs> of course, Flox was there because you're like, "Oh, this is a new and different experience." fun i know a lot about different alien cultures and now i get to live amongst one right i'm sure they won't be weird and judge oh no wait they're weird and judgy he totally thought this was going to be camping trip with like non (laughs) you know uh chaperone duties just literally keeping things together he thought he was going to be the cook so to speak (laughs) just just to see your patches up as you go everything's gonna be great and then he's like oh Oh, humans. Humans, you guys are complicated. Y- y'all are like this all the time, huh? All the time? Wow. All right. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to does. tell all my wives about this. Oh, wait, you guys are weird about polyamory? Okay, whatever. <laughs> this is going in the log. <laughs> I do think it's it shows, though, that the fact that they had, like, a, a they set up specific programs in, to integrate like other species onto the different ships shows that this is something that they cared about. They, this yeah, is definitely. something that they wanted to include in this organization that they were building, that it would be open to other species. Yeah, for sure. Especially if uh, the Vulcans are, were so involved in like half of the involvement in First Contact. So they re- definitely want to keep things on a cool level with the Vulcans and be like, Hey, I know we just started our space startup, but you guys were there from the beginning. You want to get involved a little bit? And they're like, no, we don't. But we are going to send our foxy lady science officer to spy on you. Ish. 
I say spy on ish. <laughs> but let's talk about how with Enterprise we really do get just the base the most base level of trying to do cultural understanding with some of these Alien of the Week episodes. Uh the one I'm thinking of is unexpected which has a lot of issues with it but for one thing you would think trip would have a little more sensitivity uh for paul's whole plight with being the one vulcan on this ship full of humans dealing with the smell and their food and all that when trip had to go on that alien ship and just pitched a massive shit fit over having to do like the decompression chamber thing and it looks like it wasn't pleasant. And there are multiple points where he's like calling back like, guys, this doesn't feel right. Can I come home? P- please let me come home. And they're like, nah, suck it up. It'll be fine. I'm sorry. Are you really surprised that Florida man is vocal <laughs> about an inconvenience? He may be space Florida man, but let's face it. Trip is as country as his country can country. Okay. He's going to complain, <laughs> especially if his little mediocre existence has been inconvenienced. I'm having a hard time. Feed me hydration cubes by hand. Just, I mean, you know, we got to start somewhere. <laughs> and I feel like as much as people's gripes with Enterprise as a whole can can be, can, can you know, be expressed towards, like, if it wasn't for that, like, how would we know? How would we know how cool it is to ride in a car if you've never ridden a horse for four hours? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's true. How do you know how cool it is to fly on a plane if all you've ever, if you've never had to only be able to ride a train from somewhere? So I feel like, if nothing else, it serves as an opportunity to give us perspective. Because, like you were saying, Andy, like there was no protocol, there was no, uh, there was no expectations except all right now fight nice and these are all like ex-military dudes too who think they're enlightened because <laughs> they went to brunch with Zephram Cockrum two times like come on <laughs> come on I know a boys club when I see it those admirals all those like flag officers were total grown-up dude bros and the Vol- that's why the Vulcans were disgusted the Vulcans were like, listen we got to put somebody on this ship because I don't trust these little half apes out here with all this equipment to not only not blow themselves up, but somebody else up. So let me put to Paul here. Let me put a, a doctor. Do we have any denobulans? Cool. Cool. I'll take the first one you got. <laughs> the vibes are off with these little round eared weirdos. I don't like it. I don't like it. We should never have given them <laughs> torpedoes. I'm telling you. And then we see that go really bad in this episode in the situation that because of Trip not fully understanding, you know, some cultural stuff, and also them not respecting him needing to know this cultural stuff, he gets pregnant against his will. Right. And it's definitely treated as more of a joke than it probably should have been. Right. Tell me you've never been pregnant against your will without telling me you've never been pregnant against your will. We'll see how funny that is. Yeah. No kidding. And I just want to say that, you know, when we were pulling together episodes to talk about for this episode, there are a lot. And there are a lot of episodes that, ha- like, you know, have aspects of cultural exchange, maybe not formal, maybe informal, maybe just a little bit, maybe a scene here or there. So as we go through these, uh, if there is one that we miss, feel free to, you know, write in the comments about one that you want to discuss, because there are so, so many. And I mean, if we're going in chronological order from Enterprise, I think the next one we probably should talk about is Discovery and Michael Burnham, who actually attended the Vulcan Science Academy. And when when we first meet Michael Burnham, they're they're treating her almost like a Vulcan because she was so, you know, immersed in Vulcan culture that that's like her affect and the way that people treated her was completely different. And you know, the Vulcan Science Academy had to be rough with her being the one human there for one thing. And also if we establish the previously mentioned smell thing from Enterprise, then she's been there like, oh, the smelly human is back. Right. Plus the trauma of losing her entire family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having Sarek as your dad, like that's got to be rough, you know? Talk about expectations. Sheesh. Michael cannot catch a break. No breaks for poor Michael Burnham. Especially when you consider the fact that not only was she like in some type of roundabout cultural exchange, even though against her will, uh, to the Vulcan Science Academy. Then after she had become completely immersed in Vulcan culture, she now becomes an exchange officer on a Starfleet vessel and has to learn all over again how to be human. And I just... What what a what a mind freak I'm trying to curb my language there. 
having to be a long-term exchange student and then after you've fully acclimated to that culture, come back and have to be an exchange student to the culture from which you originated sounds so mind-bendingly rough. Right. And then particularly in her case, because she was othered in every Mm -hmm. instance where she was an exchange student or officer, if you will. So it's not like, you know, signing up for a program and choosing to be reassigned or whatever. She was othered initially, like just childhood. And now here she is, even though she's amongst her own people on this Starfleet vessel, now she's othered because she was educated by a different culture. So there's there's loads of, of nuances to explore when it comes to that experience in particular, especially when you consider, you know, <laughs> no spoilers, but what happens of it? <laughs> what yeah. what these what these two extreme instances of heavily influenced and it's like this cohesive cross educational program or career track or whatever the terminology for something like that would be where you're at you're being forcibly like exposed to two completely different things and like you are then able to take the best of those two polarized experiences and create an ability that to do things that most people can't it's kind of like the gifted kid peaking in high school except (laughs) there was no there was no peaking for michael like it just kept happening for her and obviously we don't know what the result is because we're still in the middle of the series so to speak and it's happening cohesively as we are but man oh man is shevitz michael deserves a vacation so bad listen if season five doesn't have a couple (laughs) episodes where they're just like on rises somewhere if any series has deserved a Ryza episode, it's Discovery, seriously. Listen, it sure as hell isn't Next Generation. They got posh, <laughs> that fancy behind galaxy class diplomat hosting ship. They're all having band practice every other night. Right. They've got an on-ship theater. You know there's like a bowling alley or some shit. Please. <laughs> And I mean, I th- there are a lot of episodes I think we could talk about in TOS. I, and in fact, I would say TOS has some of my favorite, what I think of as like ambassador episodes, which are, you know, episodes where, you know, the, for whatever reason, <laughs> whatever reason they decided that week, there were going to be ambassadors on the ship from different cultures. My personal favorite of these types of episodes is Journey to Babel, which I love. Journey to Babel is just such a quintessential original series episode also. Like, it's one of the ones I go to if I'm showing someone original Star Trek for the first time. Well, the thing I like about it is, like, so much world building comes out of episodes like that. When When you're kind of digging into these different cultures and stuff, like, even, like, throwaway things become kind of interesting world building. But... Overall, the ambassador episodes are not ones that I really want to explore because a lot of them, like, it's not super cultural exchange in the same way that we're talking about it. It's more like these are political discussions and diplomatic discussions, which are important and definitely deserve to be talked about, but not really the focus that I was thinking of, which leads me to what I was thinking of, which is the basically the episode that prompted this whole episode was I want to talk about a matter of honor, which is exactly the first thing that I think of when I think of these kinds of exchanges. And a a matter of honor is the one where Riker goes and serves as the XO on a Klingon ship. And it is delightful. I love, I love the attitude that Riker goes into it with also just the excitement of the whole thing and like his whole hyping himself up by trying all the different Klingon foods. I love that because it's just him being like, no, I'm going to experience the whole thing. I'm going to, I'm going to sample everything from this buffet of Klingon hood and take in all these new experiences, which is exactly the way you should take an experience like that. I really love the Gach scene with Mm -hmm. Hammond, Pulaski and Picard because one of the things that I learned most when I was doing my exchange experiences was I grew up in the Midwest and our food culture is very, I'm trying not to be insulting. 
basic. I, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't really, it. yeah, I didn't really learn very much about food. And the, the food culture is very much like it's bland. It's super, like we are the ones that gave the Americans, uh, uh, Americans a bad rap for like putting mayonnaise on everything mm-hmm. and like making jello dishes. So this is the food culture that I came from. And then when I was traveling, it was just such a different experience and it opened me up so much. And one reason is it's not even just about the food. It's about how different cultures eat. Mm-hmm. So like I, I mostly I, I lived in the Middle East and I met, lived in China and both of those food cultures are very much like you put everything on the table and everybody shares it, like they don't just grab a meal, you know, whatever. They sit down as a group and and have meals or at least a lot of them do. And then also when I was in France, I was like, oh, actually taking the time to like create and enjoy food like they will t- spend hours hours putting together like really f- delicious food but it's also about how it looks and those sorts of things really made a huge difference and a different uh, an impact on how i saw the world and so i just love this scene where riker's like here's all the klingon food i'm going to try everything i'm not going to be grossed out by it if i can help it and i'm just going to have the the most experiences that i can cuz when i was in china i would literally just be like bring me that <laughs> i don't know what it's going to be but i'm going to try it and it's going to be a good time even if it's terrible and i hate it you know, and I just, I really love that scene. Contrast that to Pulaski and Picard, who are just like, ew. <laughs> to be fair, Gok does not look good. It does not look yummy to me, but I would try it. I'll say this. I really appreciate you sharing that, Andy, because as someone who didn't get to experience it, I, I was looking at this through a different lens, right? Obviously, we commend Riker for for being fearless, right? For wanting to try new things, for not being gross about it, right? And keeping an open mind. But as someone who comes from a culture that has been appropriated (laughs) in so many different ways over so many different generations for so many weird reasons, like it makes me think of what's known as, as like cultural gatekeeping, where it's a social tactic that is used intentionally to, you know, preserve parts of the heritage that are cultural that are verbal that are spiritual whatever the case may be against you know it it being plagiarized in some way or capitalized upon or whatever but the problem with cultural gatekeeping is that it prevents an exchange like the one you described from happening so i i think it's one of the other reasons why episodes like this are so important because it gives the audience an opportunity to see how this ought to be done and that even though it, it might not always be easy right like Riker was struggling on some of those things he was eating yeah you could tell he was too cocky to like admit that he was a little grossed out by some stuff but you know he was <laughs> he was struggling even Worf <laughs> who's Klingon <laughs> didn't grow up eating that stuff so even he was like oh uh, yeah you're supposed to you're supposed to eat this and you're supposed to it's it's like, no, I love Heart of Turk. Right, oh, right. It's so grisly. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So there's like nuances in this particular episode that I, I think are really great example of, of what Star Trek's about. Like, this is how it works. You're going to mess it up. It's not going to be easy. But if you make the effort, you'd be surprised at what the outcome would be. At the very least, it starts. It starts a dialogue like this one. And then with the B plot of this episode, we get in contrast to that, Wesley running into a, was, was it Benzite? Ben, mm-hmm. Benazite? And immediately assuming that they're the Benazite he has already previously met. Right. <laughs> and that's just such a, God, Wesley, be cool. I mean, he's a kid. <laughs> and he asks him, oh, it must be tropical difficult when you all look the same. Cringe, bro. <laughs> uh, Wes. You know what? Like, that also needed to happen. Yeah. It needed to happen not only for Wesley, <laughs> right? To get knocked down a peg, yes. But also for people who had comparable experiences to Wesley because mm-hmm. they were also young, brilliant, painfully awkward, cis-het white males. 
who yes. don't have exposure to other cultures, save for what they see on TV, reading mm-hmm. books, and nowadays on the internet. You know what I mean? So yeah. I feel like all of the Wesleys who saw that episode air, if you didn't cringe, you're probably a Trek bro now. <laughs> Wesley's cringe is the rest of the world's gain. Yes. Well, I think it also just, like, you're going to mess up when this thing's yeah. new to you and how do you handle it is what's important. But I think it's interesting that you bring that up, Grace, because so Maurice Hurley, when he was talking about kind of what, what they were trying to do with this episode, he basically said that they wanted to do culture swapping to explore what it must be like to be the only black face in a room of 40 white people. That's what Worf, in a sense, is doing. He's the only Klingon on basically a human ship. So he said, let's spin it. Let's put somebody on an all-Klingon vessel and see how that works. What is it like to be a fish out of water? And I think that comes through, but it also is interesting to me that that's what they were going for because I think the actual episode goes more into what people can learn from each other when they are the one person in the room. You'd also think they'd bring Worf into the episode more with that being the intent. Yeah. But but that I think this is the perfect setup because it plants the seed of this, right? Like, oh, I don't know. Just like what you were saying, Andy, like I think it 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 leans more to what can happen in these situations when it really could be doing both. Right. Because all this does is establish like canonically, like, yes, Starfleet and the Klingons have an exchange program. They swap officers. Everybody learns things. It's a sign of goodwill and good faith. Right. Cool. But then when we go on to like the next episode where we see this happen in Sins of the Father, that whole comparison between being, you know, a a black face in a room full of white ones, you see what that's kind of like in the opposite direction with sins of the father right we we meet kern for the first time and while the general shock of oh my god there's a klingon or we have to deal with the klingons now is is done with because of riker's work in matter of honor even down to you know the the part where he had to challenge the the captain for first officer stuff because he was acting nonsensically nonsensically (laughs) nonsensically whatever wherever the the accent is on that word i don't care the point is Riker had to do what he came over there to do and now it's not so shocking to see another officer come over here and do what they got to do and in in sense of the father we get to see it, it becomes a little bit more normalized granted it's a couple seasons later so a lot of stuff has gone down but between you know everything and everything but my point is it, it, we almost have come to expect like they set up an opportunity for us to get an officer from another ship maybe not Klingons. It could have been literally anybody else, you know, but the fact that it was Kern specifically it explores the nuance of cultural exchange when you're, you've been othered your whole life and you're learning your own culture again. One of the things that makes Worf so appealing to so many people is, you know, like we all know, he's Klingon of a high born house, but was raised on earth with humans. And then when he gets around other humans, tries to act like he's the most Klingon-y Klingon that ever Klingon until some trill woman has to, a trill person, really, because Dax is trans, hello, has to call him out and be <laughs> like, hey, look, 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 you don't even really care about all this. You drink prune juice, my guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Worf is now, you know, always portrayed as and depicted as trying to quantify his own Klingonness. So when you have a, a bona fide raised amongst Klingons, Klingon like Kern, you get cool moments like over the the dinner table where they, you know, bring out all of the Earth's best food and and <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the funniest scenes on TNG. I laugh every time I see it. No, it's so good. He eats the flowers. What kills me? <laughs> Why not try everything on the table? Right. He try again. Here he is with an open mind. He may not yeah. have like, like you know agreed with everything, but that's what he's here for. He's going to do his job. And <laughs> when Jordy said, when he said something like, oh, this bird replicated bird meat must be palatable to humans. And Jordy's like, oh, it's good enough for Worf. And we look at Worf and Worf's like, oh, 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 right. Like, that's a very, that's a very unique experience for a marginalized individual where you've grown up other because you're not in a community full of the, the same demographic as you. But then not only that, when you're faced with meeting these people for the first time, or at least examples of your quote unquote own people for the first time, 
you know, are you doing it well enough? Is are you Klingoning well enough to to fool other Klingons into knowing that you're Klingon too, or or <laughs> will you get called out on it? How it how is one's Klingonness quantified? You know, so it it offers all of these different questions that I think are, are really really important to consider. And if it only is something as surface value as oh here's Worf, and or rather here's Kern doing Riker's job, and oh this is what it's like, then cool, right? That's that's still mission accomplished as far as the episode is concerned but if you if you really take the time to look at all those different nuances that are included there like it it makes matter of honor i feel like a part one (laughs) it's like a prequel to the wharf and kern saga because it sets up sins of the father so very very effortlessly good episodes for sure. I, I do want to turn a little bit to DS9 because they also have a really good episode that kind of explores a lot of cultural exchange that happens after a conflict as like a specific attempt to kind of move forward and solve problems together in a way to kind of put the war behind them. And so specifically we're talking about destiny, which is the episode where there are two Cardassian scientists and one Cardassian spy pretending to be a scientist. Dun dun dun. That come to DS9 and um are are working on a scientific project as a way to kind of move the peace forward between the Cardassians and the Bajorans. And basically the reason why they they framed it that way So Robert Hewitt Wolf said that at the height of the Cold War with the Soviet Union, there were sympathetic scientists, people that we could work with and talk to. And they wanted to explore that as as like the first joint project between two powers in an uneasy peace. So I thought that was interesting because I think A Matter of Honor and Sins of the Father kind of explore um, it's it's a culture exchange between two allies right. that are trying to deepen their allyship. In this case, it's two former enemies that are trying to become not enemies. You know what I mean? And I think that's a a, a different vibe and it's a whole new kettle of complication. Yeah, and you can see that in the episode in that there's not a ton of trust. They're trying to build trust, but the trust is not inherently there. Quark is trying to offload all his uh, Cardassian product on them, (laughs) and they are not having it. It's pretty funny. But yeah, there's this undercurrent of, you know, just distrust and like things could go wrong and set things back in their progress, you know? Yeah. Let's you know how tentative that progress really is. My favorite element of that episode is how it's kind of like a gender role swap as well and we learn that cardassian sciences are a field dominated by women and how part of the distrust that is present is not only you know because we're kind of we kind of beefing we're not quite plant-based yet me and you we kind (laughs) of got you know we kind of beefing but the other level of distrust that these two scientists feel are because they're paired with Miles O'Brien, who's a whole male as far as they're concerned. And they're like, yeah. dudes can't science, though. You let your dude science? Dudes can't science. Are Who you let serious? this pretty little thing into the lab? They were straight up like, seriously, you're pairing me with a dude? This yeah. is, all right, here we go. Don't lick your finger before touching anything. Like, you know, so really, I really wished that we had had more of an opportunity to ex- to explore that dynamic in particular like i would love to see a cardassian science team like turn out a whole ship just be like what do you who who ties your shoes for you who feeds you humans because you obviously can't science move let me do this move jeez and then they're, they're them being hostile and antagonistical is flirting so she was really like filling miles oh. she was filling him first she was like oh this dude can't science and then she was like oh this dude can science oh <laughs> he's got brains and nice hair i like his old curly human hair this is cute <laughs> she was like oh you think you can science huh and miles was like oh, sake, of course i can like what are you talking to me like this for she's like okay whatever come to find out 
she was really like feeling him and had to learn and felt so there's like like i said there's so many nuances to this episode and and that element in particular like i still i would love more cardassian scientists please well and i think that they are a good example of uh, some really common pitfalls when it comes to cultural misunderstandings. One okay. is when your prejudices are different and yeah. your biases are different and you're like, wait a second, what? And then secondly, the fact that, you know, courting and flirting and romance can be very different depending on what society you're from and like what's a signal in one society might be nothing in another society. And it causes a lot of, I love that she, at one point she called it a cross-cultural misunderstanding. And I really liked that phrase. And I was like, cause she was so embarrassed. She was like, I think, I think this is a cross-cultural misunderstanding. I was like, yeah. She has to be like, Oh shit. I just told a coworker that I'm very fertile. <laughs> oh no, there's no coming back from that. Oh god. Oh, god. I would be mortified. And he was it was it was so cute because he was like try he felt bad because he was like, I am not interested. And then he was like, Oh, was that too harsh? Oh, it's not that I don't think you're attractive. It's just, you know, I'm married. And she was like, please don't. <laughs> like, just just stop. Let just me let me leave. go find a hole to crawl into for a little while and I'll see you at work tomorrow. There's no saving this. Let me just have my dignity. No. <laughs> Let me just go to the nearest airlock. Don't touch me. I'll just, I'll just <sighs> be me into space. Just, I'm just gonna hide under my hat hair for a minute. I'm gonna yeet myself out of, out of the <laughs> closest airlock. Thanks. But it, it, you know, and the 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 thing that's nice is it all went somewhere like that interaction and that relationship actually ends up saving them all right because because she made this connection with miles even though it was you know she was thinking it was romantic but it wasn't like they still made a connection and that connection is what gave her the courage to be like um actually this this bitch is not a scientist (laughs) she's a whole ass spy and she just you know fucked us all and I, I really love that, like, it shows that this this mission did what it was supposed to do. Right. It moved forward the trust between these, you know, natural enemies, and it helped maintain the peace process that they're all trying to make work at this point. It's a good episode. I'm just saying. Yes, it is. Gene's vision. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been more Gene's vision if, you know, they'd banged, but... Still, you can't have everything. You can't entirely live up to Jean's vision. Well, and uh, another thing that they kind of touch on, but is not super a huge part of the episode, is the differences in the scientific methodologies. The way that, like, it would depend. And 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 at one point, O'Brien's talking about how he had to change. Tarak Nor because it wasn't up to Starfleet code. So like the differences in, in both like engineering standards and then also just like the way that they science and, you know, the rules that surround it is interesting. And it's not a huge focus of the episode, but I still really enjoy it. And I like that we get the little moment of one of the scientists being like, and then we can transfer it over onto here onto Tarak Nor. Deep Space Nine, sorry. Deep Space Nine. She corrects herself and they move on. I will say too that these these two Cardassian scientists are really delightful. Yeah. Great characters. It's fun getting to see Wendy Roby do more stuff also. Listen, I would watch 511 more episodes of those two. Just, oh my just bopping about the galaxy, fixing people's stuff and stuff. Space stations and yes, shit. Yes, yes. I do think it it goes to show, like, instead of diplomats, like, they sent scientists, and it actually worked out really well. And it was was super cute. When they first get on the station, they're like, um, we practiced this. Was this good? (laughs) We're not diplomats, I think they say. And everyone was just, like, effortlessly charmed by this, because they were like, we're trying. (laughs) But I, I think that that idea of, like, science as a diplomatic like inroad is interesting and is explored even further in our next episode, which is the TNG episode suspicions, which is the one where Beverly decides she's going to be a scientific diplomat and invites a bunch of different scientists onto the uh, enterprise to test this Ferengi scientist 
an uh, invention that he says he has invented, a new kind of shielding. And she she literally says, Beverly literally says that she wanted to be a scientific diplomat. And I think that's really interesting and a cool way to frame a cultural exchange. Yeah, absolutely. And we get to have a fun murder mystery episode where Beverly gets to be the detective. Yeah, and Jerry Taylor said that she wanted to give a vehicle for Beverly and that they'd felt that Troy had already gotten some good episodes, but she didn't have one. And they wanted to give her something atypical and not a female role. And the idea of her playing a private eye was very appealing. And I think it is. And it, and it's, it, they, they originally thought about doing this with Worf. Which I guess kind of makes sense because he's the security officer, but, and so like a natural fit for like a detective story. But I'm so glad they gave it to Beverly instead. She just does not get enough Beverly episodes. And this, this is, it's really fun to see her be like detectiving. It's cute. Yeah. Yeah, You're here. We get to see her Hercule Poirot it up for a while and it's great. Yeah. And I actually think the, the, the mystery is good. Yeah, it's I I didn't figure it out the first time I I first saw it. I I didn't figure it out right away. And uh, I like the way they really did frame it as like a detective story where it like peels back one layer at a time. And the fact that you had all of these suspects, right? It's such a great locked room sort of mystery setup. Exactly. You've got your you meet your your suspects and then you have to figure out who's sketchy. So one of the, the the things that's interesting is that each scientist is from a different place and is of a different species, right? And the biases that played into how they reacted to each other. Yeah. So like, is, this is especially true of the Klingon scientist, correct? Which also is interesting that I don't, we don't get to see Klingon scientists very often. We definitely don't get to see Ferengi scientists very often. And I just thought this was a really good episode to kind of like unpack the stereotypes that they have about each other. Like, what do you mean there's a Klingon scientist? What do you mean there's a Ferengi scientist? And like when, when it started to get down into who, who murdered someone, there's definitely some unconscious bias towards Klingons in this mm-hmm. area. Mm. Don't get me started. That's because Klingons are the black people of the galaxy. I said it. <laughs> I said it. I said it. I mean, you know, hey, you know what it is. <laughs> like, There's a reason why their first appearance, they're all they're all in black and brown face. Just I'm just saying, like, and I, I don't use the term black people just to denote folks of African descent. I mean, po- people who've always who've forever been othered based on what they look like as opposed to you know how they worship or where they come from or anything like that like there's a very specific type of 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 bigotry that occurs when it has something to do with something superficial and stereotypes like that so yeah i feel like an episode like suspicions i mean it was you know it is what it is. You you kind of look at each other sideways like, you thought it was a Klingon too. Stop looking at me like that, you know? Well, and I think that, you know, not in the same way, but I think the Ferengi are also portrayed as an other. Definitely in this episode, yeah. Like, it's acceptable to treat them poorly. And I, this is something that I think we see in DS9, we see this kind of being corrected because we have you know, actual three-dimensional Ferengi characters, for one. But we also see, like, someone like Dax, who's really open to and fine with Ferengi, contrasted against most of the Starfleet people who are very disdainful of Ferengi. And then we also see, you know, how that kind of impacts Ferengi characters like Nog, where he had to push through a lot of bias that, like, Ferengi only care about money. Ferengi are just greedy. Ferengi will always betray you. And, I mean, it's not like that's a completely irrational response to what we have seen on screen. Right. But this is one of the first episodes in which there is a Ferengi character that is not that. He is a scientist. He cares about science. The, the, his motivation is not even to sell his, his, his inventions or make money, profit off he it. He just wants to be acknowledged as a scientist. Yeah, as a scientist. And you have to think that that motivation comes from the fact that no one thinks he can do it because he's a Ferengi. Right. The other, the other cool introspective element of, of that as well is 
my theory anyway is that the reason why we as audience members recoil at the idea of Ferengi's so much is because we are still very much deeply entrenched and conditioned by a capitalistic society. So the even though Ferengi's like a culture is like a caricature of you know hyper capitalism, we are we're still living in that right and i think there because there's such cognitive dissonance that's involved with participating in such an inherently destructive system when you see such as like a a blatant character caricature such as ferengi's participation in capitalism it gets a little jarring for people so they are instinctually want to look down on ferengi because they internally on some level i think you know look down on themselves for behaving that way there's some projection definitely yeah yeah for sure there's like some weird defensive projection almost isn't there even an episode where quark like gets a monologue at cisco like no everything that you hate about the ferengi is stuff that is stuff that the humans have done even worse yeah yeah he i i was gonna bring that up because i agree completely it's such a great monologue it's mm-hmm. such a great monologue. And at the end, he's like, you're not better than us. We're better than you. Woo! And it was fire. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Anytime you get to have an alien go, you're not better than me. Yeah. <laughs> but I also feel like it helped change. I mean, it helped change Cisco's mind about Nog, his son's friend. Yeah. Because not only was he still, you know, challenging his own conditioning and his own biases with allowing his son to be friends with this Ferengi boy. This troublemaking little Ferengi boy. Right. He not only had to realize and respect his son for his dedication to this kid, but also when Nog realized that he wanted to go to Starfleet, I I think it was conversations like the one he had with Quark that told him about himself and where, you know, humanity comes from that he it helped put him into perspective so yeah man if that ain't that's one of my i mean like there's so many favorite things about cisco but one of my favorite things about cisco there's so much to love yeah is the fact that he was able to get over himself when it came to his own prejudices against Ferengi people well and i mean we've been talking about specific episodes that explore cultural exchange but really, all of Star Trek is a cultural exchange. Right. Like the the ship, uh, uh, the ship has different species on it. DS Nine is very much like not only a station with a, a crew from all different places, but like there are people traveling there on the regular from different cultures. So like every episode of Star Trek is a cultural exchange episode, really, mm-hmm. because I mean. The relationships that they build between each other help open their eyes to prejudices that they didn't know they had, like Cisco and Quark. Because if Cisco never met Quark and never built a relationship with Quark, and Quark didn't have that, you know, moment where he slaps Cisco in the face, like, would Cisco have grown as a person in this way? Probably not, which is why cultural exchange is really important because. You need to be open to other ways of thinking about things and other ways of doing things and being able to re-examine your own biases and the your the way you do things in order to grow and learn more about other people yeah. and how they handle their problems. And and to that to that point as a as a little bit of a side note, it's it's interesting in Cisco's case and I'll leave it here because he is constantly doing that. All the way up until bada bing, bada bang. He didn't want anything to do with Vic Fontaine or a casino in the 50s or playing like it was cool for everybody back then. And it wasn't until Cassidy Yates had him down and was like, okay, you're not wrong, but this isn't then. We're just having fun. Your friend's friend is in trouble. Can you like relax? And once again, he's had to get, he got over his own prejudices and biases and hangups to to do what needed to be done so just another shout out to to cisco there and then he got to introduce cajun food to the people of the to to new orleans cooking to all the people on deep space nine and it was great it it was great it was great and that that example that i just brought up is is to indicate that it's never it's not 
a one-time thing. Like just because you set out to be a better understanding person and to learn and and enrich your life and everything doesn't mean it's going to it's going to be one lesson and then you get it from here on out and every other lesson that comes up you're going to ace because that's not how it works like you have to consciously intend to do better whether it's through like an exchange program or a job swap or whatever or just like everyday uh conversation with people and like just trying to do better is the point you have to try you have to want to try you can't just try because you're supposed to you got to try because you want to you got to keep trying and that's why this theme keeps coming up in star trek because it keeps being important definitely and i mean i think one reason why i was so excited to talk about this is this is this is one of the biggest reasons why i love star trek yeah seems Wait, you guys love Star Trek too? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. What? Really? Did we just become best friends? Oh my gosh. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this has been a really fun conversation. I know we missed stuff, guys. So if you want to add more to the conversation, that's you can absolutely get on our Facebook, get on our Twitter, heck, get on our Instagram anywhere you want and let us know about what cultural exchange moment episode character you want to talk about that we didn't get a chance to talk about today. So that's about all the time we have. Grace, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at bonecrusherjank. And let me tell you a piece of advice for free. Nothing will open your eyes more to how broken America is than seeing foreigners react to how bad our transit systems are. (laughs) And Kennedy, where can people find you? Uh, People can find me both on Twitter and Instagram at that Mikey chick. That's that M-I-K-E-Y-C-H-I-C-K. But don't act up in my comments because I will drag you publicly before blocking you. I don't care. IDC. IDC. And that's a Kennedy guarantee. She'll drag you into the town square. It'll be a whole thing. Yep. You will wish you had stayed up in your clock tower. Some, you just wish you would have stayed in your drafts. <laughs> and I'm Andy. You can find me on Twitter at First Time Trek. To learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com, email us at crew at womenatwarp.com, or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. Thanks so much for listening.